How do we worship our God? We continue our study on the Institute of the Church as we look into one of the focal points that the Church has over other institutions, worship. Last week, we looked specifically at the word worship, and today we want to build on this concept and consider how we are to worship our God. We open by looking at a few references to the concept of worship. First, in Romans chapter 12, Therefore I exhort you, or beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. In worship, we are serving another. Hence, the term worship services are often used. This passage in Romans is telling us to sacrifice self, to give up self in honor and in order to be pleasing to our God. The object of our adoration or honor is God, not self. We see this on the day of Pentecost with the conversion of the 3,000 in Acts 2 and 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. We'll come back to some of these concepts in just a bit. Christ addressed this concept in speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. In that conversation, the woman mentioned to Christ some things about herself, including our fathers, John 4, 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Christ responded, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. These two components, spirit and truth, must both be in place. One is not more important or less important than the other. Spirit is the emotion, the feelings, the thought process, the decision-making part of man. God asks that worship comes deep from within us in our acts of respect and honoring that they come from the heart. Otherwise, it would just be going through the motions with no meaning. I believe the word vain is what is used in places of actions without the heart or the spirit. But heart can only get us so far. Truth is what has been established by Christ or his apostles as right or wrong. What is pleasing and what is not. If we have a true heart and a self-sacrifice, we would be willing to do the things that have been prescribed. The combination of these two, spirit and truth, is the foundation. Anything else or anything less is addressed. Christ said in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 8, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain or vanity do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We've talked about things being done decently and in order. Worship is with respect to our God. 
A phrase that Paul used with Corinthians is that all things should be done for edification or strengthening the assembly, 1 Corinthians 14 and 26. Doing what God desires or doing things in a way that is orderly also strengthens those that are participating in this act of worship. When we consider the question, why do you worship? Where you worship? There are more options in most places to attend worship than most any other type of service that is offered. So how do you choose? I asked a work colleague of that one time, and she looked at me like I was from another planet. She asked me to explain my question. Well, you go to this church for worship. Why there? She struggled a minute to find the words, but she said, I like how they do things. It has meaning, and it speaks to me. I get a lot out of it. Do you see self in this answer or God in this answer? She asked me the same question. I responded that, well, we have biblical authority for all that we do. We focus on pleasing God and not man. We follow the examples of the first century church, and we believe in worshiping in spirit, but also in truth. And her response was, oh, well, okay. So what are the components of worship? We read in going through the New Testament of five components that were practiced when the assembly gathered in the first century. Singing, prayer, partaking of the Lord's Supper, teaching, and giving. We see in the first century that Christians were singing songs of praise to the Lord. We do not read about them pulling out any mechanical instruments. John 5.13 says, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing songs. Ephesians 5.19, Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We do have a lesson online that focuses on music in worship. Back in May of 2022, we encourage you to find this and give it a listen to if you have not already. Prayer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Christians devoted themselves to prayer. We see in chapter 4, verses 23 and following, where the disciples prayed for boldness as they continued to teach and preach. Romans chapter 12, continue steadfastly in prayer. Colossians 4 and 2, we are commanded to continue earnestly in prayer. Philippians 4 and 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Prayer certainly is authorized by our Lord as part of our worship to him. The Lord's Supper, another action we read the first century Christians performing, was the act of partaking of the memorial that the Lord established, referenced as the Lord's Supper. In Acts 2 and 42, we read that the Christians were coming together, and as part of their coming together, they broke bread. We read the disciples in Troas in Acts 20 and 7, on the first day of the week, they came together and they broke bread. Paul commands us in 1 Corinthians 11 and 17 to partake of these emblems, the Lord's Supper, when we come together as an assembly to worship our God. Teaching, again, back to Acts. The Christians continued steadfastly in 2 and 42 in the apostles' doctrine. We see in Acts 20 and 7, the Christians in Troas not only came together for the Lord's Supper, but all also preached to them a message. In Acts 14 and 27, we see a local church gathering together to hear a report about the work that Paul had been doing among the Gentiles. 
And as we mentioned in past lessons, teachings is a fundamental work of the local church, teaching those outside of how to become a child of God, while also edifying or building up those that are children of God. Giving. We also see that when the disciples came together upon the first day of the week, they gave according to their means, not a tithe, not a formula, but as they determined in their heart. This also is commanded by Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 and 1. We see an example many times in scriptures like 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, as well as Philippians 4. These are things that we did see the first century Christians doing in their worship to God. Each of these things can be gone into in great depth, but for now, the mention is all we want. These are the things that God has asked us to do in order to accomplish the focus of the institution of the church. Each one of these has gradually changed. We talked recently about how things seem to progress, but in a very gradual manner in order to be accepted over a period of time. When we look at these five and overlay them and what we see being done in worship today, there is a drastic contrast, to say the least. I want to focus briefly back on where we started in Romans chapter 12, sacrifice self. So with this concept, where does the word entertainment come in? With screens in our hands and our cars and all around us, our attention span is minimal. I recently read that the average human attention span has decreased by almost 25% between to the year 2000 and 2015. Humans have shorter attention spans less than goldfish, studies say. In the year 2000, it was 12 seconds. In 2015, much less. Our phones are checked on average close to 100 times per day or once to every 10 to 12 minutes. We have to pick it up and see, did we miss something? What does attention have to do with entertainment? Entertainment has constantly changing stimulus. Does a sermon, or should we say a sermon from, say, 50 years ago? Self or God? Creature or creator? Recall what Christ identified with those following him in John chapter 6. Jesus answered them and said, verse 26, Truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Remember the message to the woman at the well? For on him the Father God set his seal. And then later in verse 66, as a result of this, of this message, as a result of this, many of his disciples went away and were no longer willing to walk with him anymore. Entertainment puts self. First, it gives minimal, if any, opportunity to real substantial growth. It minimizes the greatness and power of our God. It distorts the true value of worship and waters down the power and the message of the gospel. As a result of this, many of his disciples went away and were not walking with him anymore. They just were not interested. I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Amos spoke of self in Amos chapter 5, verse 26. You also carried along Sicketh, your king, and Kion, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says Yahweh, who is the name of the God of hosts. They tried to worship Peter 
And Peter replied in Acts chapter 10, Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter raised him up and said, stand up. I too am just a man. And as a passing thought, are there those among you that prefer reverence in their title? Should we use a word that certainly aims at devotion to our God in reference to just a man? We are warned not to call any man here father. When we read the following verses, it seems to go more in the direction of giving reverence more so than just the name or the title, which brings even more to question some of our practices. Christ said in Matthew chapter 23, call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither call ye masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Yet we have titles like reverend, right reverend, the very right reverend, father, apostle, and the likes. All titles of devotion, I would say, titles that put a mark of distinction on that person that creates an attitude very akin to worship, which is what Peter denounced, as did Christ himself. Worship, should it never be about personal reward or personal payoff? Personal growth, yes. Learning, yes. But personal reward, not so much. It is God, the focus of our worship. And those that were seeking praise, Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corner so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say, they will have their reward in full. It is our desire to wholly do the will of our Father, our Lord, and our King. And as we, his children, his servants, his ministers, his ambassadors from Christ, sanctify them by the truth your word is truth. An institute established by God. One of the purposes is to serve him in spirit and in truth. To honor our God for his grace and his mercy, his patience, his love. To remember his son in the perfect sacrifice he gave. To sing, to give, and to teach. In strict obedience to things commanded and examples that were established and how and what we should do in our service, our service and worship to God. Let God be true. Our time is gone. We thank you very much for joining us. Look forward to visiting with you next week at this time. Until then, we bid you a very blessed day.